0: Time Andy! You
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt, and this is episode number 252. Itumama mama tambien. Shocking dialogue in this movie, really. It's sexy time Absolutely And also Spanish time So you may have noticed no opening clip We've only done a few straight up foreign language films That's true Probably not appealing to every listener that we've ever had But the hardcores, I think Yeah, well, broaden your horizons, folks Because this is a good one From the country of Mexico It's a part of the Criterion Collection I'm pretty new to it. I think you probably saw this way earlier than me. Yeah, I, I, I think the first time I saw it was only like a few years ago.
2: I watched it I don't know sometime in between like 05 uh, and 2007, somewhere in that range. Oh,
1: wow, you go way back.
2: HBO on demand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of similar to um the Fabulous Baker Boys. Like I watched it in that era when I was just watching all these movies that would be on HBO on demand. You know, it was like the pre streaming thing where just like I'd randomly discover movies on there. Before
1: we jump into Mama Tambien, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter, at Greatest Pod. Love reading your tweets. Let us know what you think of the show. You can request a sticker on there or send us a listener request if you'd like. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or wherever we pop up. That way you never miss an episode. And follow us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby on there, wrapping up the year. Trying to sneak in a few more (laughs) four to five star reviews. Yeah, my pace is just glacial at this point compared to what it was. Yeah.
2: It is weird. I mean, you know, we have these conversations and it does make me think about myself and how my brain works and how much time I'm willing to waste for just... The dumbest reasons ever like you do make a good point when you're like why do you waste time watching movies that you know are gonna suck and my reason is just because I need more low ratings
1: <laughs> you need to balance it out <laughs>
2: yeah, I just can't stand I'm like this makes me look like a shill everything I just love
1: well for rewatches I definitely tend to do a lot of them and they're gonna be higher because we're coming into letterbox at a, an older age than I think a lot of the users that's true, so yeah. So we've seen a lot of the good shit, and we're rewatching the good shit. We're not going to rewatch the stuff we don't like.
2: Most of the people our age have kind of moved on from having to <laughs> comment on movies. <laughs> They're past that part of life.
1: Meanwhile, for me, it was like the most exciting moment of 2021 <laughs> was discovering Letterboxd.
2: I love that it's just like not even on our radar at all, even though we do like a podcast that's mostly about It was movies. on my radar. Okay. I just
1: didn't want to bother with it. All
2: right. Well, when I saw you tweet, how did I not know about Letterboxd? I think you did. Something like that. Go back to the archives. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I may have been joking. Okay. I listened to a podcast for years where they talk about it. All
2: right. Maybe you said something like, how did I not get on it until now? Maybe that's what it was.
1: Something. Yeah. It's very crucial that we figure it out. That's right. E2 Mama Tambien came out in 2001. It was directed by Alfonso Corone, written by Caron and his brother Carlos. Yeah, weirdly enough, like, the whole reason why I knew
2: who this director was was he directed the third Harry Potter movie, which was, like, the first one that I liked, because I had seen the first two in the theater, and I thought they were a complete bore and was not into (laughs) them at all, but with my girlfriend at the time I was in high school, she wanted to go see the third one, and I was like, all right, like, I reluctantly went, and I, like, thought it was a million times better than the first, so it started being cooler, older actors in it, like Gary Oldman and... Michael Gambon and other people you'd recognize and it had like a much darker tone and I like look up this director and then I don't know I was like I-, I like this dude and would later go on to see this movie it's just super weird he got picked to do the third Harry Potter movie really because of this e2 mama tummy <laughs> and
1: it just seems so bizarre that's what they were looking for yeah <laughs> we need Harry more Potter franchise. sex talk well he had done a Spanish language film in 1991 and then spent the 90s in the Hollywood system being a director for hire. He did a movie called A Little Princess which is an adaptation oh, yeah. and then The Great Expectations one with Ethan Hawke. That's right.
2: A Little Princess was like a movie like my sister owned and we watched like
1: all the time when I was a kid. And he was not happy with the path he was going down because you try so hard to achieve your dream to become a director and then you get offered these jobs and then all of a sudden that's the path you're on. But he wanted to be a filmmaker, creating his own thing. Make passion projects. And so he got out of the Hollywood system, went down to Mexico, made his own thing with Itu Amatomien and revitalized his career. I think people would probably know him from Gravity, Children of Men, yeah, several other... Higher profile films, Roma, yes, Roma. "I it. tu mamá también" means "and your mother too," which on its own is not offensive, but is usually uttered attached to something offensive. <laughs> yeah, it's usually tossed around as, a, as an insult. The budget was five million. The box office ended up being thirty-three point six million. It was a huge hit in Mexico. It broke the opening weekend box office. It ultimately was released in the United States with no rating because it was going to be rated NC-17. And I think it did fairly well in a limited release here as well. And it went on to a lot of acclaim. For those of you unfamiliar who are listening anyway, we do thank you. So I'll set the stage a little bit. The film tells a coming-of-age story about two teenage boys who take a road trip with a woman in her late 20s it is set in 1999 against the backdrop of mexico's political and economic realities specifically at the end of the uninterrupted seven decades of presidents from the institutional revolutionary party and the rise of the opposition led by Vicente fox the film is noteworthy for its explicit sex drug use An explicit dialogue regarding sex. Yeah, the latter part more my area of expertise than the political climate in Mexico. Yeah, I don't think that we're gonna necessarily bring a lot to that part of it. Although, the film does juxtapose certain moments in very noteworthy ways that if you're rewatching and paying attention, I think you grasp some of it, even if you're not familiar with all of the context. Right. The two main characters, Tinoche and Julio, are oblivious. They're sort of selfish assholes, but Koran doesn't judge them. And that's the whole point of the movie, really, is they just are who they are. It's a depiction. It's not some big statement against them.
2: Right. And I mean, they coexist on a similar plane despite very different
1: backgrounds, which is part of it. The film was nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards and Best Foreign Language Film at the Golden Globe Awards. It's done in what feels very much like the documentary realist style, not influenced by traditional Hollywood filmmaking techniques. There was a minimal script with a lot of improvisation, although it should be noted that the improvisation was accomplished through rehearsal. They would sort of plan out the scenes and rehearse them. It wasn't improvised as they were filming. It does
2: have that vibe. It's hard to imagine Karan sitting down and penning all of these
1: conversations. Right, and anytime there was a misunderstanding or somebody would just come up with something to say, they would work it into the script, but all of the... Long scenes in the film, including the climax of the film, the big drunken night at the end, is all staged in advance. They would go to the bar, do it, without filming, and actually drinking. (laughs) Karan, some of the other people, including the cinematographer, Emmanuel Lubezki. That
2: is one of the things that comes through and is great about this movie, is this authentic feel to the interactions.
1: Yeah, they would take notes, remember it all. I guess Quran has like a big memory and yeah. then they would just recreate it then. So right. it wasn't actually scripted, but then it wasn't like they were improvising when the camera was rolling either. You know, I've done a decent amount of drinking in my life. <laughs> I don't ever remember it being
2: as fun as the scene that they're having <laughs> when they're like slamming tequila shots or whatever that is. Yeah. They would really, just be puking. They're, I know they're really enjoying themselves. I would be like, this is awful.
1: <laughs> the filming was helped by the real-life friendship between stars Gail Garcia Bernal and Diego Luna. Coran originally did not want to cast Luna due to his pre-existing teen idol status because he had been in a lot of Mexican soap operas, but Bernal convinced him, and it ends up working well because they didn't have to spend a lot of time developing a rapport. They literally yeah. knew each other since they were babies. The natural chemistry comes through. Yes. And speaking of Lebeski, the cinematographer, he has worked with Koran a lot, but he's also worked with Inaritu and Terrence Malick, including Tree of Life, which is oh, yeah. one of the best-looking movies ever. So pretty stacked behind the camera here. Oh, yeah. With Koran and Lebeski who have gone on to these huge careers.
2: The cinematography in this movie just looks awesome. Some of the shots of them driving...
1: Through the countryside. Yeah, it captures Mexico in a way that's very gritty and real. They didn't want to you know, make it look like a tourism video.
2: It does seem like there's a lot of automobile fatalities.
1: Yeah, but the sun and the mountains and everything looks beautiful. And then, of course- Once they make it to the beach. The beach at the end, yeah. You're just like, good Lord. Quran was influenced by Adu Philippine from 1962. It's an obscure French New Wave film. And some of the- Ties between the two films would be a road trip featuring a love triangle, wide shots of a car curving down a road, an omniscient narrator, and a character dancing while staring into a camera. And I saw the clip from A du Philippine, and it is sort of a recreation with Louisa in oh, this yeah. film, right. where she stares in the camera and dances toward it. Oh, Nice. It's an American road movie reimagined in Mexico integrating the geography, politics, people, and culture of the region. And one of the things that I think connected with audiences and one of the reasons why we love it and it resonated with us and why we're doing it on the show beyond just the explicit sex, which of course is a plus. (laughs) (laughs) It's certainly fun. Is that it's a movie about wringing all of the joy out of life that you can and truly living in the moment and living life. You have one character who's secretly desperate to do that That's and right. two characters who are oblivious because they're young. Yeah. And living carefree. Just a never-ending youthful
2: energy from these two though in a way that is almost inspiring like you understand why she wants to yeah inject herself into this despite them falling all over themselves drooling the first time they <laughs> meet her.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the first time you watch it you might be wondering what her deal is, like why is she doing this? Can't,
2: Your reaction would be the same as theirs, which is this is unbelievable.
1: Can't you see that they just want to fuck you and it's like of course she can see oh, that. Yeah. She's not an idiot. She gets totally what the their whole deal world is. can see it. I pulled this quote out of the Criterion booklet because I thought it was just so perfect. It was written by Charles Taylor in an essay entitled Dirty Happy Things. It's pretty quick. Okay. Quote, on middle-aged men, the funk of cigarettes and beer and sweat and sex smells of failure. Yes. On Tenoch and Julio, it's the perfume of youth. (laughs) Boy, (laughs) is that true. No truer words have ever been written. The film also permeates a carefree freedom.
2: Yeah, it, it certainly makes you long for it. These days wasted. By these two. Man, what a time in life. Yeah. You know, just the hours of nothing to do. I certainly didn't spend them jerking off in a pool with my friend, but (laughs) you should have. That part didn't really
1: resonate with me. Yeah. There's a bluntness about sexuality in this film that is definitely unique, or at least unique in American cinema because. Not only is there nudity and sex, but just the way they talk about it, the yeah. openness with it, the two friends who are very open with each other.
2: And there's almost something to the audience, the way that everyone is so frank about sexuality. As an audience member, it sort of is threatening, <laughs> like you're like almost appalled a little bit. You're like, jeez, this is really in your face. That's kind of like the way when Louisa starts coming on to these two, they can't handle it, you know?
1: Yeah. It's both graphic and honest. The two protagonists are maturing and finding themselves against the backdrop of a country doing the same. The last names of all the principal characters are those of important figures in Mexican history. Okay. The I didn't last catch that. Name of the one Spanish character, Cortez, is that of the Spanish conquistador who conquered much of Mexico for Spain, and I believe Luisa is a conqueror in many yes, ways in enjoy, this film yeah i enjoy that tie-in so let's get into it obviously this is going to be a little bit shorter of an episode it's not going to have any clips because i don't really know how many of our listeners would understand spanish <laughs> so i think it's sort of pointless. <laughs> that would be
2: fun if you were just putting those clips
0: in
1: believe me i thought about oh, it yeah <laughs> but yeah when we did Belle du jour i didn't yeah. put clips in you got to remember we do have a global audience
2: at this point that's true. Many of our non-U.S. listeners are probably
1: bilingual. And maybe some of the U.S. listeners as well.
2: That's true. I'm not going to rule that out.
1: The film opens with two teenage best friends. We have working class Julio, played by Gail Garcia Bernal, and upper class Tenoche, played by Diego Luna, each having sex with their respective girlfriends before the girls depart on a trip to Italy. Unclear to me how long this trip is even going to be. It feels like it's going to be a while. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever specified, but it does seem like maybe the summer. Yes. Or something, or at least a month. Which
2: does seem like it would put quite a strain on a relationship at this age, and turns out it does. The first thing you
1: see is two very naked young people having sex immediately.
2: Right away, you're like, okay, we're in for a bit of a ride here. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it doesn't build up to it. No. Tinoche is making his girlfriend Anna promise that she won't fuck any Italians. Are you? Was this a familiar conversation to you? No, <laughs> I never dated anyone that went anywhere other than Pittsburgh. <laughs> I promise you won't fuck any kielbasses, <laughs> any yinzers. There's a giant Harold and Maude poster on her wall which is sort of a nod to what this story turns into with that's right an older woman and a younger boy
2: and didn't make that connection i was like how many college-age girls have Harold and maude posters (laughs) just the sad ones
1: yeah well you know filmmakers they always like to act like every person is as into film as they are right like in scream where Everybody is just fluent in the language of horror movies yes. and making references all the time <laughs> <Right>. to them. <laughs> what a group of friends. I've been trying to get
2: into a group like that. Oh, God, I know. It's My a whole dream. life.
1: <laughs> Every so often in the film, the audio drops out entirely. And the first time you're yeah. watching it, you're like, wait, what happened? What's going on? And then the narrator starts speaking. Obviously, this
2: is like a huge stylistic choice that Karon wanted to go with. Yes. It's jarring at first. You do get used to it, but it is a little bit heavy-handed.
1: Yeah. It's hit or miss. Sometimes I don't mind it. It helps round the story out in a way where it's providing information that would never come up. Yeah, there's weird character exposition at times. I would probably cut a few of them out, and the ending we'll talk about when we get there. I feel like it it sort of tramples over a little bit of the ending. Yeah. The narrator is Daniel Jimenez Cacho. It is not one of the characters. It's somebody who just knows everything, including what happens to the pigs on the beach (laughs) or what happened with the chickens from 10 years ago and stuff like that. And
2: and sometimes things are explained that I, I, I think are better left unexplained, like the pigs thing. I'd love to just be like, why are these pigs on the
1: beach? I wish I didn't know. Over at Cecilia's house, the girlfriend of Julio... Cecilia comes up with an excuse to get Julio up into a room and then she just immediately pulls her pants and underwear down to her ankles and it is a wild scene. I've oh. never dated a girl who was that frisky.
2: A fairly <laughs> aggressive move. Yeah, I don't think I ever dated a girl who was as aggressive as any
1: of the women in this movie, really. <laughs> it is one of those tense moments because with Tanosh, his girlfriend's mother doesn't care that he sleeps over and stays in her bed, but yeah. Julio it's trickier with her father and everything and he's on to julio and he doesn't know what to do and she's just like yeah fuck me please before i leave and honey it's like i don't know what he's gonna do to you but he's gonna kill me if he finds me up here doing this (laughs) your
2: dad is right downstairs it it doesn't feel like this is a good idea i don't know it's crazy I, i can't say that this is really familiar for me
1: they do go for it but it's pretty quick yeah is A little is, bit more familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is a recurring theme. Sure. <laughs> well, it's interrupted, though, by her mother. So the movie incorporates the use of colloquial slang, which is used in Mexico City. And this is something that actually made parts of it hard to understand, even amongst certain Spanish-speaking audiences because they are talking in a way that is very regional at times, and it's very slang-heavy. Oh, yeah. And that plays into one of the characters being from Spain, and she will often ask them what they mean. and There's a little bit of a Lost in Translation vibe between the two groups, because even though they're all speaking Spanish, they're speaking like a different version of it sometimes.
2: Yeah, and it's all Lost in Translation for me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. With their girlfriends gone, the boys are going to take the opportunity to live as bachelors. Despite remaining in the relationship. I know from my experience, I'm a giant pussy, and I would never be able to do any of the shit that they do. I would just be sad emo guy. Yeah. I mean,
2: I might act like anything's on the table, but let's be honest, there was never anything
1: on the table. (laughs) The table was empty, folks. (laughs) really? Meanwhile, they're just... Hacking off a big block of cheese, Summer of George style. That's right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It starts off like it's going to be a big summer. You know, they go to that party, but
1: neither of them score. Early on, the juxtaposition of what's going on in the country and the wealth disparity and their obliviousness to the plight of some of the people is on display when they're stuck in traffic and there's a migrant worker who's killed by a bus and the narrator tells us that the body's taken to the morgue where it goes unidentified for days and the whole thing and you're just like jesus what a bummer yeah which is what happens throughout the movie is their little adventure is up against a picture of a country that's evolving and changing and the... they're
2: completely
1: oblivious to that oh yeah in fact they're more just annoyed that like oh i gotta find my sister she's at this fucking demonstration and they don't even know what they're demonstrating for or what's right, going right. on. But mostly they're getting stoned talking shit about babes. <laughs> At one point they had a, a life. nude shower fight. <laughs>
2: yeah, which is strange. They are weirdly nude with each other much more frequently <laughs> than I ever can recall being nude with my male friends. I don't remember that being a thing.
1: Diego Luna wore a prosthetic penis to appear circumcised. <laughs> Wow. It all builds up to this big wedding that the boys are going to attend. Julio and Tinoche both attend the big fancy wedding, one that's even attended by the president. And this was based off of a real-life event from Coron. You're kind of surprised that Julio gets the invite. Well, that was Coron's experience, was he... Was somewhere closer to Julio. He said he was describing himself as between the two, but closer to Julio. But his parents knew people, and there would sometimes be overlapping in social situations. And at one point, he was invited to a wedding that the president was at. Wow. At this wedding, they meet Louisa, played by Maribel Verdú. She's the wife of Tenoch's cousin Jano, who is a pompous writer, also. Criminally unfaithful. Just a complete (laughs) scumbag. Yeah, but
2: just a sad sack, though. What an embarrassment when he has that breakdown.
1: (laughs) Yeah. At the wedding, he's whining because he got wine on his suit.
2: Yeah. Pathetic.
1: In real life, Verdue's arrival on set in some ways mirrored the story that happens in the film. The boys have been together filming stuff, I believe... Other than the last scene of the movie, which they did first, everything else is shot sequentially. So you have the two of them who've known each other since birth in real life, and then they're getting to know Alfonso Caron, spending all this time together. They film for a while. Then she shows up, and it completely changes the dynamic. They're all falling in love with her. And Maribel Verdu, I don't think that she's a household name, in America, but... Should be. She was a pretty established Spanish-language star who had been in plenty of films and TV and stuff and was fairly well-known. It's hard not to notice. Stunning. (laughs) Respectfully. Yes, respectfully stunning. It was a game-changer, and I think what happens in the movie played out in real life in some ways. Not that they all had sex. (laughs) I don't want to throw out any accusations, but... (laughs) jealousy, tension, vying for her attention, stuff like that. You totally get it. The president's appearance at the wedding completely overshadows the newlyweds, which I think is a statement in and of itself in some ways. Luisa is from Spain, and in many ways, her being in Mexico makes it seem as if she's alone in the world. Not on this viewing, but I rewatched this like within
2: the past year, and- When you first meet her, she has this stoic presence where it just seems like so unbelievable that she would spend time with these two.
1: Yeah, well, the narrator helps provide some of the backstory she does as well about herself, but her parents are dead. She was raised by her aunt, who now has recently died. Her husband is Mexican. She's from Spain. She's now in Mexico. When things go poorly with jano there's there really nowhere to turn she's right. just alone and that probably plays into why she does what she does
2: she's like these two are going to the beach that's right and obviously this specific event you know certainly probably makes her not really care but it does just seem like when you meet her here i'm like i cannot believe that this movie becomes what it becomes like she just doesn't seem like a person that would be going <laughs> she doesn't a-
1: seem as fun
2: right <laughs> yeah
1: Trying to impress Louisa, the boys tell her of a fictitious secluded beach called Boca del Cielo, which means Heaven's Mouth. Mm-hmm. However, she initially declines their invitation to accompany them there. Respectfully declines. Yeah. At like, this point, she has no, no reason right. to. I love how it's staged when they're talking to her. They're on those little steps where you would like walk up the steps and then turn. And then there's like a bleacher section. Right, yes. And she's standing in that corner, and they are basically surrounding her so that she's up against that corner. Yeah. She's like literally can't get away from them. Backed into a corner. And it's interesting to think about power dynamics in this film because at this point, she seems overmatched by their personalities because she is very demure in this moment. They're abrasive. And there's two on one. Like I said, they've got her backed into this corner. But what we're going to find out is. <laughs> She's going to end up with all the power in this trio. Louisa is then shown at a doctor's office getting test results. We don't really know much about it at this point. Jano is away at some symposium or some such nonsense. She takes a quiz in the magazine in the waiting room, wondering whether or not she's a fully realized woman and realizing maybe that she isn't. (laughs) <laughs> just so, judging based off of yeah, a magazine quiz a moment i've often had as you referenced earlier there is a moment where Tenoch and julio are laying on diving boards jacking off together into a pool uh-huh that's a certain degree of boredom <laughs> it seems like
2: they're at a public pool yeah well it's part of a like a club Tenoch's dad is a member at this club, or an investor, or something, a partial owner of this club.
1: You know, anytime they're there, though, they're the only ones there. It's like Red Oaks, a private Red Oaks. Yeah, place. yeah. These are massive pools and a massive diving board on each side, so they're not like right. like right next to each other or anything. But it is vile. You do see the cum in the pool, which I guess they use like shampoo or something. That
2: is shocking, and I gotta say, it feels unnecessary. I didn't really think we needed that. Yeah.
1: I'm okay with it. They're not totally hateable or anything, but it is an indication of the way that they act. Yeah. And their obliviousness to their surroundings, and they just sort of do whatever they want. Right. Because it's horrifying.
2: Why would you do this? (laughs) And it's just weird that they're like, I don't know, like that openly sexual. I mean, they're like saying what they're thinking about out loud while... The
1: act is in progress. Salma Hayek. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then, of course, it turns to Louisa, who... Oh, well, yeah, come on. Julio refers to as Tenosha's cousin, but they're not cousin by blood. No. It's through marriage. Yeah, I don't know if that's something that is common in Mexico, if that's like a cultural difference. Although, I guess I have heard of guys doing that when they're younger. But out in the open during the day... How old are these two dudes supposed to be? Are they in college? I think they're like graduated high school. Yeah. But it's sort of unclear. Right. They might have one more year of high school, I guess, because of the conversation at the end of the film, which is supposed to be one year later. That's so maybe, true, yeah. Maybe you're they're right. going into their senior yeah. year. I I, I don't know. That would know. make sense. After Louise's doctor's appointment, she receives a phone call from a drunken Jano who tearfully confesses that he cheated on her.
2: At first, he's just like, I'm drunk, and she's basically like, go to bed, just trying to wrap up the conversation, like, oh, this moron. Yeah. But then, oh, he can't. He just
1: has to tell her. Yeah, and her reaction here is great, especially once you find out everything at the end of the film. Because they do a great job of disguising what's going on, and her performance in the scene is great because she is crying, and if you pay close enough attention, you can see that she's sort of crying before he even says anything about cheating on her. Absolutely. But again, I think the first time you watch the film, that might be going by you. (laughs) Yeah, it did for me. You're definitely not grasping all of the nuance of what's happening.
2: Yeah, and it's kind of like this slow thing that plays out into the point that she's really having a, a breakdown over it, so
1: then they're both bawling. The next day, Louisa calls Tanoche and asks if their offer for her to accompany them to this hidden beach is still open. And I love this little moment where he realizes what's happening because he's stunned that she's calling. Then he's spitting the food back out that he was eating because he was just like annoyed that he had to answer the phone. And then it really captures the excitement, surprise, and potential of youth when something just happens and. All of a sudden, you're in it. You're like, okay, great. Now, we're going to go to this beach with this sexy woman that we talked to at a wedding.
2: <laughs> it's like a passion project of ours to remake this movie. Me and you are the two dudes. And
1: Ana de Armas, going on a road trip. With Who, us. I'm older than. It would have to be like me, you, and Helen Mirren. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be no. great. <laughs> But then he calls Julio, and then Julio's getting excited. Then they have to figure out the thing with the car, because Tenoch had his car taken away. Can you imagine if
2: she's calling, she's ready to go on this trip, and then they just don't have a car? <laughs> yeah. You would just talk about that for the rest of your life, you know? <laughs> what could have
1: happened? Never get over it. So they have to track down Julio's sister, who is in the middle of some demonstration, and get the car from her. They make a deal with her where she can have the car for three weeks if Julio can take it for a few days. They're also
2: going to, like, as far as they know, a fictional place.
1: Yeah, they do talk to their friend who gives them stone directions to something. He
2: doesn't seem like the most reliable person ever, which comes through as they go on this trip.
1: Yeah, it's never really clear where he's giving them directions to, though, because yeah. they were clearly bullshitting. They've never been anywhere. They don't know anything about Absolutely. this beach. So then they're like, okay, our friend Saba, or whatever his name is, he knows some place. They try to get directions from him, but they can't really get anything straight. So yeah, when they leave, it's a mystery as to where they're headed. Where they're going to end up. Although Julio and Tenoche have little idea where they will actually go, the three set off driving through rural Mexico. They discuss relationships and sexual experiences to pass the time. (laughs) The boys boast about their exploits while Louisa speaks of Jano and recalls her first love, who died in a motorcycle accident.
2: Again, another fatality from an automobile accident.
1: Yeah, it's actually a stunning little story that she reveals about herself and her past. And you have that feeling that it kind of gives you like there's a, a sliver of darkness here. Yeah, it gives you the feeling that she's revealing something that maybe even Jano doesn't know. Yeah, it's very all of personal the details to her. of. This movie is a little tricky for us to cover because it is a lot of talking, and I don't think that it's really that interesting for us to try to just recreate all of the conversations, but that is a huge portion of the movie. And a
2: lot of the talking is somehow like more abrasive than what we usually talk about, even
1: <laughs> yeah. Before Louisa shows up, there's also a lot of fart smelling and that's right, <laughs> jacking off and You're all like, kinds of things. What did
2: we get ourselves into? This is like a critically acclaimed movie?
1: <laughs> <laughs> because it's real. That's right. Yeah. The boys consider themselves a part of a group they refer to as La Charla Rostra or Charo Lostra.
2: Yeah, they've got a whole manifesto.
1: Which somehow means astral cowboys, but originated from misunderstood song lyrics. This was a result of Carlos Caron, Alfonso's brother, one of the screenwriters of the film. And he was talking to his niece or somebody and was like, well, what do you guys call yourselves? And then they had some weird name and it came from one of their friends not understanding the lyrics to, hey, now you're an all-star from the end of Shrek. (laughs) And that's literally where this came from. And then they had to change it a little bit And I don't know what song they're even singing, but they got the lyrics wrong, and then it just became the name of their little group. Wow.
2: Well, if you asked me to guess where this name came from, I can say I would not have got it.
1: Louisa is an ideal travel companion, though, because she's actually interested in all of their stupid bullshit, or at least- For a while, until there's
2: a dynamic shift where she never (laughs) wants to hear them talk again.
1: (laughs) Well, they get a little out of control. Yeah. In all fairness, she may have played a part. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But she asks about their manifesto, so I wrote down all of their rules. I'll have to censor at least one of them. Mm-hmm. Number one, there's no greater honor than being a charlostra. <laughs> I don't know how there's a rule. <laughs> yeah. Two, do whatever the fuck you feel like. All right. Number three, pop beats poetry. No idea what that means. Yeah. Number four, getting high once a day keeps the doctor away. All right. Number five, thou shall not screw another charlostra's girl. Well,
2: (laughs) we'll see (laughs) how that goes.
1: Number six, Team America is for FAGS. Okay. Now, that is a Mexican soccer team. Okay, yeah. Number seven, whacking off rules. Who wrote (laughs) these, (laughs) B? Yeah, really? Number eight, never marry a virgin. Okay. You really only have one chance to either follow or break that rule. I don't know why that <laughs> does needs it need to be, need to be in the manifesto. Thing. Number nine, same as seven, whacking off rules. Again, can it just be one number in the manifesto? No, I think then? it's pretty funny. All right. It twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number 10, truth is cool, but unattainable. Definitely. Number 11, the asshole who breaks any of the above rules forfeits the title of Charlostra.
2: Okay. Truth is cool but unattainable. I agree. It is. Pop beats poetry. Yeah, I don't know what that means.
1: <laughs> Maybe that means like songs. Like pop songs.
2: Okay. Yeah. Then uh, in which case I agree, but I would probably say most things beat poetry.
1: Pop songs are poetry.
2: Number three, everything beats
1: poetry. How dare you! <laughs> The first night they stay in a motel and they they go to I don't know if they're trying to spy on Louisa or what but they look in her window and they see that she's crying. Well, I'm sure they're like we need to get a look or at least try to figure out
2: what's going on here. I gotta say (laughs) it's really like a strong performance how she can go between like being completely like stoic and and then charismatic and being very conversational to these like complete emotional breakdowns
1: that seem pretty authentic. Yeah, it's me. Basically, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, the narrator is a useful tool sometimes to give us interesting little revelations that don't factor directly into the story, such as little tidbits about the class differences between Julio and Tenoch, for example. Tenoch lifting the toilet seat with his shoe in Julio's house. Yes. It also tells us a little story of Tenoch passing the village where his nanny was from, okay. a nanny who he would call mommy up until 4 years old, and she obviously comes from a poor little village and made the trek to Mexico City. That's right. The conversations between the trio become increasingly daring and flirtatious. Luisa is definitely an instigator. She points out Tenoch's woody <laughs> that he wakes up with in the backseat. These two kids are getting boners I know. at the drop of a hat.
2: What a life. Just riding around <laughs> falling asleep in the back of a car.
1: <laughs> getting boners? Wow. I can't even imagine. No. She's telling them about ass play, wondering if they stick their fingers up their girlfriend's butts. All their
2: smooth talking starts to kind of curtail when she starts driving the
1: conversations. Yeah, it's clear that she's a little more experienced at life and knows- some things that they haven't even considered yet. (laughs) Like butt play. They're like, that's a thing. The car breaks down, which is not too much of a surprise, as Julio thought that it may not make it. So it extends their trip a little bit longer. They have to stay at another motel. And this is where things take a turn. Because at this point, everything was hunky-dory between the three of them. Yeah, And now things are going to change. That's right. During another overnight stop, Louisa leaves a tearful message for Jano, explaining that she has left him. Tinoche enters her motel room in search of shampoo, but instead finds her crying. Head start backing away. (laughs) Louisa seduces him, and the two have sex. And boy, what an affair it is. Yeah, what a scene this is where she's like, because he shows up in her room only wearing a towel, and then she's saying, take your towel off, and he doesn't yeah. know what to do.
2: Yeah, she's definitely the uh, the dom in this situation. Why I'd don't say. you
1: jerk off, yeah. she says. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. I think I would find this all very intimidating. I'd be like, you know what? I just came in here for shampoo. I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tanosh proves to be very inexperienced, clumsy, and quick on the draw. yeah as the whole thing is over pretty quickly. I can't blame him. Nah. Julio sees them through the open door and walks away upset. Not thrilled. So this is the introduction of jealousy and tension. The honeymoon is over. Now things have gotten real. That's right, yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, we all knew it was building to something.
1: Yeah, you do wonder what were they thinking, the two of them, was going to happen here. In their wildest fantasies, I guess each of them thought they would end up with her, but they didn't ever really think about the other person and how this would all play out.
2: Yeah, it would suck. If it did play out in a way where one of the dudes ended up with her like in more of a full-time basis for the trip, boy, would it suck to be the other one. Yeah. So you get why Julio would be a little dejected here. All things
1: considered, I mean, it yeah. seems like it went as well as it possibly could. I think so, yeah. God, there's that horrible pool that they swim in at that motel that's it's like disgusting. filled with leaves I and know. it's green. They spend
2: two seconds trying to like clean leaves out of it and they're like, nah, let's just race. Nude for some reason.
1: <laughs> in public. Yeah. Bathing suits not a thing here. Well, aren't they wearing them later at the end?
2: Yeah, so I guess it's a choice to swim nude.
1: Yeah. Okay. They're very comfortable with their bodies. That's all right.
2: I can't say the same,
1: but, you know, I appreciate it. Feeling the sting of what he just witnessed, Julio tells Tanosh that he had sex with Tenoche's girlfriend, Anna. And now things have started spiraling. Oh, yeah. That n- night at dinner, Luisa notices almost immediately. Something's up. Now I've... they're all pissed at each other. Right. She doesn't even know about the revelation, though, so she's probably thinking that Julio has found out that they had sex. She's upset the balance. That night in the motel room, Tanosh is just grilling Julio. It's going on all night, every possible detail. He's having a meltdown about it.
2: Remember, Tanosh makes the move to try to go to Luis's room, and she's just like, no dice, good Good night." night. There is something so real about that interaction <laughs> <laughs> the embarrassing humiliating shutdown oh, yeah. because you know Tanosh was so full of himself that something's like going on here more than just <laughs> the one-time thing he's like I'm gonna go stay in Luisa's room yeah we it- know
1: someone who was often very full of themselves oh yeah a lot of those embarrassing <laughs> all right quit
2: talking about me <laughs>
1: <laughs> they've sort of set themselves up to be in this fucked situation. At first, you might be thinking as a viewer that Julio is lying because he's mad. But it never really comes off that way. And the further you get into the movie, it's pretty clear that he's not lying. And so now you realize that there's a lot more to their friendship underneath the surface. There's a lot of dirty, inconvenient details that maybe each of them don't know about. I actually enjoy this scene quite a bit. Tenoch
2: going through... His memory of, oh, yeah, I was on vacation, and I was like bringing you guys back presents. Yeah. Oh, what an idiot I am.
1: Yeah, there's a certain passion to their friendship, too, that's interesting. Because I think putting myself in the position of Tenoch I think I would just shut down and be like, well, I'm done with you. Yeah, yeah. And there wouldn't be any admission of pain or anguish over the dress that I bought my girlfriend. I would agree. The gift I gave you. I wouldn't have brought that up.
2: No, but I would be thinking it to myself later and then telling random people at a bar that I met when I'm
1: drinking. (laughs) (laughs) In the morning, the car is fixed, and so they're able to continue the journey. They end up at this little roadside place with a bunch of trinkets and stuff on a table, and there's a bear with the name Louisa on the shirt. And the story of the bear is incredibly sad. It belonged to this woman's granddaughter who was killed on a trek across the border in Arizona or something like that, who died of thirst or exposure or something like that. Yeah. It really is a sexy movie laced with tragedy. That's right. Yeah. There's a a weaving There's a heaviness to it for sure. Still understanding that order has been disrupted, Louisa has sex with Julio in the back seat of the car, forcing Tenoche to angrily pull over yeah, it's and a, flee the scene. Like a
2: shocking full court press from Louisa here. Like, even more so than anything else we've seen.
1: Yeah, she's like, oh, look, Julio, you got a boner now back here.
2: <laughs> yeah, Let me why get don't a look you look at that thing? She says, why don't you introduce me to it or something like that? <laughs> like, good lord.
1: Well, she knows how to seduce a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think it takes this much work even well she wants to make it clear she wants to yeah. get things back to level as and she does, as possible. it's actually
2: again tenosha's kind of like caught up in this thing of she's picked me you know what i mean he's kind of like really has bought into this even with the shutdown he's like trying to put his arm over by Luisa, block off any interactions with julio and then she really like shuts it down when she's like Basically, I would have fucked whoever came in that room if it was Julio. It just happened to be you. And it's like... Dagger. Hoof.
1: Yeah, he caught feelings and yeah, he's made a fool of himself. Who hasn't been there? That's
2: the thing. Julio, he's in a better position because there is no being fooled by that. Illusion. Right. By the time that it happens to him, he's able to more take it for what it's worth and not think that something else more is going on here.
1: Luisa is trying to equalize their perceived status. They have sex in the back seat while Tanosh walks across the street and then can't help himself but try to look at certain <laughs> points. But much like Tanosh, Julio is also very quick on the draw. Both boys' sex scenes yeah. with Louisa last exactly the same amount of time. They both apologize afterwards. One minute and 28 seconds, which I think is generous. I yeah, think I that's the say, whole thing. Wow. what? That's like a new record. Yeah. <laughs> For this podcast. That's right. (laughs) I think that's the whole thing with foreplay, not just when it's inserted. Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) It can't be because it doesn't seem like a minute and 28 seconds. It seems like 10 seconds. (laughs) Luis's plan to set things right doesn't exactly play out as she'd hoped when an upset Tinoche then reveals that he had sex with Julio's girlfriend, Cecilia. It does seem weird that he withholds this for as long as he does. I guess he felt morally superior yeah. when it was still a secret. That's true. But now true. he's hurt. They begin to fight with Julio physically trying to get at Tanosh, but they stop when Luisa starts yelling at them and making as if to leave.
2: Best part in the movie. And actually, whole
1: sequence. Julio
2: pushes Luisa away. That part's like, it's kind of shocking, actually. I mean, it's not the most violent display you've ever seen but it does kind of catch you off guard
1: yeah i would describe it as probably a little less than a full push and a little more than a shrug off right okay i think that's fair luisa says what you really want is to fuck each other (laughs) we've all been saying it and as she's walking away delivers just a a roadside burial for two young guys who think they're studs just a roast Who cares who fucked who when you both come in 10 seconds?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. This is like complete display of power
1: now. I mean, these two are left in the wake as she walks away. Yeah, they realize they have to hurry up and have a truce so that they can get her back into the car. They're both panicking. Right. And so they beg her to come back in, and it's time for Louisa to lay down the new law. And how things are going to go. Got, yeah, this is my favorite part in the movie. So she delivers her manifesto <laughs> with ten rules. And, and very passionately, by the way. <laughs> One, I'm not fucking either of you. You can fuck each other if you want. <laughs> Two, I'm going to sunbathe nude and I don't want you sniffing around like dogs. <laughs> Three, I pick the music. Four, the moment I ask, kindly shut your traps. Five, you two cook. I don't know that I would necessarily want them to cook. No. Six, not another word about your poor girlfriends. Seven, if I ask, you're to stay 10 yards away, or 100 if I prefer. <laughs> <laughs> How many times has that been said to you? <laughs> we usually just arrive. Officially, (laughs) in a document from the police. (laughs) You've been served. Eight, obviously you do all the manual labor. Nine, no discussing things you don't agree on. Ten, you're not allowed to contradict me, much less push me. And they agree, because they don't have any other choice at this point. I guess, although they could leave her here. They've got the car. Yeah, but they're both in love with her, really. That's
2: true. (laughs)
1: Which makes the ending strange to me, but we'll get there when we get there. All right. I think the ending of the film is the section that I have the biggest problems with. And not just because I'm not happy with what happens, but I just don't know that it's done in the way that I think it should be.
2: Well, I like everything through the bar
1: sequence. I'm talking about the The... last scene. Okay, okay, yeah. Driving along the coastal road at night, pretty much lost. (laughs) And this
2: is like one of the better narration parts, I think, like in terms of it being humorous because basically this whole thing is going to be up because they don't know where they're going at this point.
1: Yeah. Julio turns right down a dirt road and gets you, the car stuck.
2: I think as viewers, you kind of lose sight of the fact that, oh, that's right. These guys have no idea where they're going. There's
1: no real destination. Right. They don't know what they're doing. So they just stay there in the car and fall asleep. But in the morning... They discover that they have actually chanced upon a beautiful, isolated beach. Making camp there, they begin to relax and enjoy the ocean, along with the company of a local family. Later, the family takes them on a tour of the neighboring beaches, including one called Boca del Cielo, or Heaven's Mouth. It so does somehow, exist. They actually found this magical place they That's were searching right. for Which all along. seemed fictional, but... There is a place named that the narrator ends up telling us the fate of this sweet little family and they will be pushed out of the area and pushed out of their homes. That part's super heavy and super sad. At the expense of a big exclusive hotel.
2: The idea of this guy, they really like hit this home. They cap it off with he never like fished again. Yeah. He's so happy like, out in the open water just in his boat. <laughs> Love and life,
1: and it, he becomes the slave to, to society, essentially. When they return to their campsite at the first beach, they find it to have been ransacked by a herd of pigs. Sort of a shocking moment, really. A lot of pigs running around on this beach.
2: You're like, okay.
1: And no, it's not me and Matt with our <laughs> shirts off. <on. laughs> it's actual pigs.
2: It's to everyone's delight, although there's not much difference.
1: So the trio decide to spend the night In the nearby village of San Bernabe, I think it's actually a room attached or part of the property of this family that they've befriended. That's right. It's like a little outbuilding with a bedroom in it. Yeah, we got a place for you to stay. At a bar, Louisa makes another call to Jano, trying to explain her reasons for leaving. This time, though, it's not a recorded message and they actually speak to each other, though we don't really hear Jano's side of it. He's finally sobering up. She bids him an affectionate but final farewell, and it ends with her sobbing. I've already discussed Karan's preparation for this big drinking scene, but this climactic moment at this bar with the three of them together is the centerpiece of the film in a lot of ways. It's a very long scene where the conversations ramp back up and... There's a lot of forgiveness going on, I would say. All of the damage between the three of them is repaired in a way. Just from drinking tequila. There's a reconnection here. Well, when you think about it, they've gone on this huge, long That's right. journey together, and they actually found this place, this special place. I do think Louisa is more aware of everything the entire time, and I- do kind of think she knew that they were bullshitting her the whole time yeah but she had nothing to do she wanted to leave her situation for reasons that aren't entirely clear to the audience yet and so this was her option she didn't really know anyone she figured that she would probably be able to handle these two
2: yeah that and, might have been a little bit of a miscalculation
1: no but you know what i mean sure she's in charge of the situation Absolutely, there's never really any risk for her here right I think for reasons that become more clear, maybe she's attracted, not sexually, but just attracted in general to the youthful exuberance.
2: I think so. I the think joie de fair.
1: vie. Yes. That evening, Luisa, Julio, and Tanosh drink to excess, relive their mutual sexual experiences from earlier on the trip. A lot of toasts going on a lot of cheersing and slamming shots and joke about all sorts of sexual topics she tries to help them
2: yeah they've become good sports about it it's self-deprecating build up a little
1: bit more tolerance
2: yeah <laughs> stop jacking off so much <laughs> yeah i was I, I found that to be like interesting advice I was like, does that work
1: no comment <laughs> <laughs> Julio and Tenoch reveal that they've each actually fucked each other's girlfriends multiple times. This time, yeah. they just laugh and keep pushing it further and further as they all get wasted.
2: No biggie, I guess. I don't know. You would think there would be some like reliving of the being upset because you're like, you've kind of come to acceptance on the thing that's like, oh, this was just like this one-time drunken thing to this was a scandal.
1: Yeah, but they both did it to yeah, each other. Yeah, that's true. Which is sort of fucked up. I can't really imagine fucking any of my friends' girlfriends once, let alone carrying on a whole thing and then laughing it off. Yeah, I know. Or cheating on my own girlfriend like that. It's just not something I ever really was a part of.
2: No, it is weird. And to have it be happening from both parties, it's just insane.
1: Julio also claims to have had sex with Tanosha's mother, which is where the title of the film comes from because he actually says... You two, Mamatami, and, and your mother, too, at one point.
2: And we're all kind of left wondering.
1: Yeah, what do you think? Do you think he's being serious or joking? It's They never really confirm or deny that this happened. It's he is laughing a lot when he says it. To Tenosha's mom, right? Yeah, because he's making fun of her for doing the aura thing. Yeah, yeah. mom's sort of a.
2: I mean, spiritual. Julio did get invited to that wedding.
1: <laughs> it's a very sexual movie. That's right. You can't rule anything out. Louisa plays a song on the jukebox and we get that moment borrowed from a Dú Philippine where she seduces the camera. She turns from the jukebox and starts dancing to the music and looks directly into the camera, which is very cool. Yeah.
2: It's an awesome shot. I would say we're all sort of in love with Louisa. If you weren't by this point, you are now.
1: Yeah. I was watching the supplemental features on the Criterion Blu-ray and Maribel Verdu Oof, she just seems like a really cool lady. (laughs) I really dig her. Yeah, she does seem cool. Then they start making a scene where the three of them are basically dancing centrally together. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like the type of place where that kind of activity is happening a lot. Kicked out of the bar. (laughs) They're dirty dancing. That's right. (laughs) So they go back to this room that they're sharing together, and it... It leads to where you think it would lead. We're headed straight to Threesome City. Oh, yeah. As Luisa kneels between the boys and stimulates them both, Julio and Tinoche embrace and kiss each other passionately. It's like wild things. They're just like pouring a bottle of champagne on each other. <laughs> it is sort of a mirror of the wild dick scene. Yeah. Yeah. I think that audiences found this movie to be very sexy, and it is interesting to hear the actors and Karan and his brother and everybody involved talk about the film. And they all sort of love the fact that people were turned on by the movie. They took that as a big compliment. They're like, yeah, 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 art. Yeah, 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 whatever. But were you turned on by it? And it's like, yeah. It's just so unexpected, I think. The threesome? The movie. (laughs) You mean existing at all or once you hit play and you're- like oh, this is not what I was expecting. Uh, existing at all? Yeah, I'm not super familiar with just it being Mexican filmmaking at the time. So this seems pretty revolutionary. This to me.
2: sexual in nature.
1: So they finally go all the way with it. The scene is not super graphic, and it doesn't go on forever. No. So you don't really know everything that happened, but I it's a slightly, say
2: relatively graphic.
1: It's a slightly awkward morning the next morning because Luisa is morning. already out. I-, I think it's a slightly
2: awkward rest of their lives for our uh, our two boys here.
1: Yeah. I think Carlos Caron on the Blu-ray was saying, if you want to interpret it as a gay kiss, that they have these sexual feelings for each other that you can, but that really wasn't what they were thinking. Yeah. They were thinking more that they have this powerful love between them and it's this expression like that more i guess akin to a one-time scenario although obviously they were never really able to go back to what it was before well we'll get to that in a minute yeah. i think that it's the natural growing up and growing apart story. Sure. i don't know that they were intending necessarily
2: you don't think it was a
1: factor well i guess it depends on how you read it you yeah. it could be but i don't know that that's necessarily what they were thinking yeah i agree but Louisa's already out of the bed, so they wake up naked together. hmm The boys need to go home, but Louisa is staying behind to explore the nearby beaches and coves. And then the narrator takes over and dominates a lot of the ending of the film, which I don't love. But then again, I do think that some of what the narrator conveys would be very difficult To do in a compacted amount of time, you'd have to really set up a lot of scenes to explain what the narrator's telling us. But it is jarring at points. I'd say. Soon after they return home, Anna and Cecilia both break up with Tanosh and Julio. Okay, well, I'm glad that it was worth us
2: having all these meltdowns over what happened.
1: I think the implication is that the girls sowed some wild oats over in Italy for themselves. You think there were
2: some Italians? Oh, yeah. Some Italians in the mix?
1: With Cecilia? Come on. Yeah, really? <laughs> Julio and Tinoche start to drift apart, and so this is where I I made the note that The way that this ends with the narrator and the friends coming back from this big journey and then drifting apart, it reminds me so much of Stand By Me. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that's why I think I started to go down the road of this sexual encounter is not really the reason. It's just life.
2: I mean, I think there's like this overall loss of innocence thing, like they're moving on to what we all come to know as adulthood Yeah, And you're just not the same person you were Yeah, You're just not the same person you were when there was hours of freedom and nothing to do, which energized you, I'd say.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, there was just a passion for life. You weren't beaten down by the garbage world we live in. Yeah, I know. How everything sucks all the time. It's a shame. (laughs) A year later, in a chance encounter in Mexico City, Tinoche and Julio have a cup of coffee... Almost reluctantly no I, according I like to the, narration. the way
2: the narrator puts it is like I can't remember which one it is but they're basically like well he, he decides to agree because it, it would be less awkward than trying to come up with an excuse
1: yeah they awkwardly catch up on each other's lives and news of their mutual friends and then Tanos drops a bombshell he informs Julio that Luisa died of cancer a month after their trip.
2: Yeah, I'd be like, man, what a bummer. Why are you telling me this? I don't want to know. <laughs> I need to unknow what
1: you just told me. And that she had been aware of her prognosis during the time they spent together. might explain a few things. Tenoch then excuses himself because his current girlfriend is waiting for him. Before leaving, Tenoch tells Julio he will see him again. However, the narrator reveals that, in fact, they actually will not ever see each other again. Which is an odd ending. I don't know why they wouldn't ever see each other again. I
2: guess it's just they've moved on to their different lives. But
1: they never reconnect for anything. It just seems like very I mean,
2: I feel like you'd have to at least be like, all right, look, we got to rehash some of this. Yeah. Some of those nights from that trip.
1: Also, okay, this is what I was alluding to earlier. I don't love the lack of reaction here. I guess... Julio is sort of teary-eyed at the end. It's hard to tell.
2: Yeah, but it's a very cold scene. The the end of this.
1: I don't know. Okay, you're not really gonna have a future with Louisa, no matter what. She clearly didn't want to, is what you're thinking. It's been a year. You've gotten some space, but really, I just
2: thought the three of us would keep this going, like for the rest <laughs> of our lives.
1: Yeah, like the beginning of Savages. The, yeah. Right. Oliver Stone movie. They yes. just have a thruple from now on. <laughs> but even still, the the passions were running high. You clearly had these feelings. This was like this important moment in your life, a moment of time. I just think that the underselling here of the reaction to this news is sort of deflating. I'd say so. But it I ends did with watch a whimper. It. I did watch it closely, and I do feel like it's possible that that's why Julio seems a little emotional at the end of the film, but it also implies that he's emotional because he's lost connection with Tenoch. That could be so both. So you're, you're sort of unsure of what's... Yeah. I don't know. It's just such a sucker punch. And when you go back and you rewatch the film, we danced around it a lot as we did the description, but you do start to notice things. It becomes clear that she's yeah. got something going on. And For then sure. you're like, oh yeah, the doctor results and all that stuff. It all makes sense. Right. It Though is, she seems perfectly healthy, and then I'd a say month so. yeah, later. Right. Pretty brutal. She doesn't seem near death, I will say. But you're almost pissed at Tinoche for burying the lead. It's like, what are we gabbing about all this other shit? You're yeah, not really, going to say that Luisa died up front? What the fuck?
2: How could there be anything else to say?
1: I know. Yeah, I'm not super in love with this coda, this ending to the film. Yeah. It's... It's a little clumsy with the narration, and I don't know.
2: It's just so cold, too, and I get that that's part of it, but, you know, it's such a vibrant movie that really ends with a whimper.
1: I don't want to just put that out there without offering an alternative. So what I would say is that you lay the clues down about Louisa. You give us a little more clues so that later the viewer would piece it together for themselves. You almost just cut out this last scene. And you have the narrator give us the stand by me ending of like, do you ever have friends like you do when you're 17? <laughs> Jesus, does anyone? Just sum it up before, like, just cut that scene out entirely. and Just then, like
2: a picture of Louisa over the screen, like the, the friend that you had when you were 17? <laughs> yeah, no, I never really did have a friend like that again.
1: You'd have to change some things throughout and you could extend some stuff and then lay down a few clues so that. The viewer gets the point without it ever being explicitly laid out what's going on. Okay, I think that would be better. I
2: think that's fine. Yeah,
1: because it it does come off at the end as a lot of telling and not showing. That which is, is the one of the problem with narration. The, yes, and there is a lot of narration in this movie. So I think that will do it for *Etu Mama Tambien*.
2: Yeah, a movie that I enjoy quite a bit, certainly hard for us to tackle foreign language movies, but I think we did a pretty good job.
1: Yeah, I think for anyone who hasn't seen the film and sat through all of this, it's worth checking out. Be prepared for a lot of sex and nudity. So if you're a younger yeah. listener, and by younger, I mean in your 20s, it might be hard for you because your generation is terrified of all things sex. And it's shocking.
2: Knee-jerk and right.
1: reactions to movies that are very sexual. But it is
2: weird, though. I watched it when I was like in high school. Or like just starting college or whatever. And it's more shocking to me now,
1: (laughs) you know? Yeah, because there's nothing like this. Right, right, exactly.
2: And we feel so far removed from something like this coming out.
1: Yeah, it's a reminder that sexuality and human bodies don't have to be this thing that we're terrified of. And that can be fun. It can be fun to look at three attractive people. I know a lot of women find this movie very hot. I see it come up all over yeah, uh, Instagram, film, Twitter.
2: <laughs> I don't see it come up, but I don't know if I'm looking in the right you're, places. You're barely yeah. involved with I film don't know I'm not connected. Online.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I know that a lot of women like this movie too. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. probably even more than men. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Folks. What are you doing? What? What: Vincent stopped making pics. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene pics. Gene's trash.
1: I'm Gene. All right, so let's do a little recommendation. Do you have okay. anything? I can do one. Yeah, well, then just say yes. All right, sure. <laughs> yes, I do. Well, go for it.
2: I'm going to uh, recommend this insane eight-hour-long Peter Jackson Beatles thing, streaming on Disney+. Plus. Get back. Some... Interesting tidbits, kind of a different view as to how this all has kind of been portrayed over time. Obviously examining the Beatles recording the Let It Be album and famously what led to the Beatles sort of breaking up altogether, but a lot of positivity in it as well, which I think was kind of part of the reason why they wanted to put this out or, you know, had the support of like at least Paul McCartney was to show that, look, it it wasn't all Hell, there's some good stuff here, but you do see the bad too. And really, I think for people that spend some time playing in bands, you really see the reality of the grind of these fucking band practices of just playing the same shit over and over to the point that you hate it. (laughs) That's what
1: really resonated with me during this. Yeah, it's a unique look at a part of the recording process and being in a band that you would almost get from no band, let alone the biggest band of all time. I was sort of blown away that it even really existed. I never even knew that there was this much footage. It's nuts, yeah. Capturing all of this stuff. It's almost like an endless documentary. The footage looks incredible. It was restored, and it looks like it was filmed yesterday, which is the craziest part. I haven't watched the whole thing. I've only sampled a little bit of it, but it has been all over the place. I think a lot of people watched it on Disney Plus over the Thanksgiving holiday So I'll have to finish it at some point.
2: There was the Martin Scorsese, George Harrison documentary or docuseries years ago. And at one point they were interviewing Eric Clapton in that saying it's rumored or whatever. The legend has it that George was going to leave the band. And at one point they were going to ask you to replace him. You know, talking to Eric Clapton, and he just like laughed it off. And in, in this series, at one point, I, it seems like they're making a joke about it. But when George leaves the band, they they'd say, "Well, we'll just get Eric Clapton,"
1: <laughs> which made me laugh. So my recommendation is brand new to the streaming world. I think you have to pay 19.99 to get the early streaming, but I'm sure it'll be available to rent in the next couple of weeks. I wanted to clean things up a little bit from last week as far as Ridley Scott goes when we oh yes. somewhat trashed House of yeah. Gucci. I watched a film that he released earlier this year called The Last Duel.
2: Oh, I didn't see this. Did you check this in?
1: Yes. Okay. Starring Adam Driver, who is also in House of Gucci, and we also trashed <laughs> a little bit. Well, it happens. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Jodie Comer, I think is her name. I'm not really sure how to say that. This movie is pretty great. I liked it a lot. This will be my definitive 2021 Ridley Scott film because I didn't really get into House of Gucci as much as some. Yeah. It's a Rashomon-like story. It's pretty much the same story in some ways where there is a sexual assault scenario and then it's told from three perspectives. You see it from... Matt Damon's character who is the husband of the woman in question and then you see it from Adam Driver's perspective who is the accused and then you see it from the woman herself so it is very similar to Rashomon but it's interesting if you pay super close attention I think you need to pay attention because I did see some reviews and maybe this is a only a few people but Where they felt like they were seeing the same scenes multiple times because it goes back in time, okay. But the scenes are different, they're subtly different. You have to pay attention to who's saying what, the way they react to things. Oh, that's fun! Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. But if you're glancing at your phone or you're not, you might think that you're just seeing the same scenes again, something like that. But it's not all the same, it's different scenes, too but you'll see some things redone from different points of view. I thought the trailers for this looked awesome, so I I,
2: I really want to watch it. I can't wait.
1: Yeah, I think the whole thing is cool. Obviously, the story ends up resonating for modern times, especially in the wake of Me Too and all of those accusations. It becomes very clear how this story would tie in now, even though it's like the 1300s in France and all this shit. Ben Affleck looks insane. He has like this blonde bowl cut. <laughs> wow. He's like a total douche. In yeah. It. The king is a total weirdo. He's the kid from The End of the fucking World. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have like a huge part, but he's like a real weirdo king, which seems to be pretty common. Probably due to incest and stuff like that in the bloodlines. Sure.
2: It has but, an impact.
1: Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. It is a long movie. It's probably a few minutes longer than House of Gucci, which was oh, pretty no. long. Yeah. But it is way more engaging and entertaining. All right. I liked it a Back lot. In. Yes. I would definitely recommend checking it out. I had to buy it on Voodoo. Yeah, so I, I paid the full to. $1999. It's
2: on the short list of things that I like really want to watch.
1: Yeah, and for me it jumps right in there amongst my favorite films of the year, which is definitely incomplete at this point. There's a lot more to see. But sure. I enjoyed it a lot. And I'm bummed that I didn't check it out in theaters because yeah, we that's weren't quite dense. ready yet. All right. well,
2: was there some talk for us? I can't remember. No, I think that, I was still... That one wasn't even...
1: It was weird because I went over the summer and then there was a period at the beginning of the fall when this came out where I was back out again. I was oh, like, yeah.
2: eh. Nah, that's okay.
1: I think it came out a few weeks too early.
2: I'm enjoying getting to the theater, although it's uh, many an empty screening, that's for sure. Which I don't mind because I... COVID or not, I don't really need to be around a lot of people. Right. But it's been lacking energy in the theater. We can say that.
1: Yeah, well, we picked a House of Gucci screening that was mostly empty, but the one before it was like almost sold out. Sure, that's true. So it might have been a completely different experience. Maybe we would have liked the movie more. Yeah, you never know. All right, so the Beatles get back on Disney+, and The Last Duel, which I think you can do the early order on Amazon or Vudu or any of those streaming things where you can buy it and then it'll probably be available to rent in a couple of weeks that'll do it for E2 Mama Tambien, check that one out I'm sure that's streaming somewhere uh, one would think, yes, I think it is I think I saw it up there somewhere it's worth picking up the Blu-ray though if you're into that world, the Criterion Collection, maybe that's it'll right. come out on 4K at some point hopefully not <laughs>
2: I just don't want all these movies that I bought to like now come out on 4K and feel like I need Why? to. Why?
1: You can buy fun movies again. When yeah. you buy as many movies as me, you run out of good <laughs> ones. And then you're like, oh, I can rebuy this
2: now. <laughs> I'm like fuming about this Mulholland Drive Criterion 4K.
1: Yeah, I was actually thinking you didn't get that, did you? No. You just let that go right by during the sale.
2: Yeah. That's a shame. I might get it still. I need to find somebody else to give my copy to then. Just take it to the exchange or something. Yeah, we'll see.
1: Folks. Folks, follow the show on Twitter, at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review, please, if you get a chance. We'd love to see it. Spread the word. Tell a friend. Make it your mission this Christmas, holiday, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, New Year's season To get new listeners for this show. (laughs) The show is growing. Certainly not, you know. Give the gift of greatest moments this year.
2: (laughs) Not getting our most growth from doing topics like E2 Mama Timmy but that's
1: all right. Well, we did a lot of heavy hitters in a row. Yeah. This is one for us. That's right. A little bit more obscure. We have to balance things out, you know. We have some listeners who really like the newer movies. We have some that really like the bigger, more mainstream. We have some that like the more... Obscure, independent. We have some
2: like the Golden
1: Age stuff. Yeah. One or two. I thought you meant Golden Age of a pod, and I was like, when was that? (laughs) (laughs) We haven't reached it yet. I was like, were you talking about Wish Upon a Star? (laughs) Yeah, that was just, that was it. One episode. Find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. The mood
0: is right. The spirit's up. We're here tonight.
3: admit in some ways watching this Beatles thing kind of bummed me out as much as I liked it why two things one it really made me miss hanging out with some of my friends like some of the guys in New York when we would just sit around and talk about the Beatles and talk about music and you know it's like I'm looking at the Beatles past and that's like that's over you know and then it's like and so that is also over that part of my life is over and that was such an enriching time and that's done. And the other thing is, is after watching this, I listened to the George Harrison solo record, living in the material world. And he has that song, you know, be here now. And the idea is like, you gotta, you know, you gotta live in the moment because the past is gone. It's just every moment is gone, you know? So you have to be here now. And it's like, (sighs) The world is fucking sucks so much now. It's like it's so bad now. Everything, culture, everything is bad. And I just I look back at this period, of, in the late '60s when like this was just happening all the time. It's like the Beatles are making records, Stones are making records, The making records. We're just about to move into this period of film that's going to be better than any period of that film has ever experienced and will ever experienced again. Like all these things are happening. It's just, I watch the Beatles eating toast and stuff. Like all they're having for breakfast is these toast, you know? And it's like, that would never happen to someone like the Beatles. Now they would never just have like a a plate of toast or whatever. And, and, and everything, (laughs) technically everything is better. Now we have all this stuff. Like, like every part of life should be better. Um, like we, I could probably make my office into a studio that would be as good as some of the places the Beatles recorded in, but it's just not the same. It's over, and I don't want to be here now. Like I, I want to be back then. I like, want to go to a time machine. I wasn't even born yet. Like the, the this thing the Beatles are doing, I'm not even born yet when that happens. And and uh, how can I be nostalgic for a period I didn't experience, and yet I am.